meeting to order. Go ahead, Kyle. Good evening. This is a meeting of the San Francisco Commission on the Environment. The date is Tuesday, September 27th. The time is 5.05 p.m. Please note that the ringing and use of cell phones, pagers, and similar devices are prohibited. Please be advised that the chair may order the removal from the meeting room of anyone using a phone or similar device. For remote participants, please note that the ringing of cell phones, pagers, and similar devices can still happen virtually and is still prohibited. Please turn your devices off. Public comment will be available for each item in the agenda. For comments on matters that are not in the agenda, there will be an opportunity for general public comment. Participants who wish to comment in person will be asked to come forward one by one and speak clearly into the mic. Each speaker will be allowed three minutes to speak. Members of the public participating remotely may comment by calling into the meeting. Opportunities to speak during the public comment period are available via phone by calling 415-655-0001 and entering access code 2484-669-5888. When connected, dial star three to be added to the queue. Best practices are to call from a quiet location, speak clearly and slowly, and silence any other devices. Alternatively, members of the public may submit public comment by email to environment at sfgov.org. Comments submitted via email will be forwarded to the commissioners and will be included as part of the official file. I will now call the roll. President Ahn is excused. Vice President Stevenson. Here. Commissioner Bermejo. Here. Commissioner Hunter. Here. Commissioner Sullivan. Here. Commissioner Wald. Here. Commissioner Wan. Here. Vice President Stevenson, we have a quorum. Next item, please. Next item is item two, review and vote on whether to approve resolution file 2022-07-COE, resolution making findings to allow teleconference meetings under California Government Code section 54953E. The explanatory document is resolution file 2022-07-COE. This item is for discussion and action. The commission will discuss and consider adoption of a resolution making findings that Government Code section 54953E requires in order to allow the commission to hold meetings remotely as currently required under local law without complying with certain Brown Act requirements. Commissioners, can I get a motion to approve the resolution? So moved. moved by Commissioner Bermejo, a second. Sorry, I missed that. Second, Commissioner Wald. All right, we have a motion by Commissioner Bermejo and a second by Commissioner Wald. Is there any discussion on this? Let's open up to public comment for this item, please. We will begin with public comment here in the room. Once in-person comment has concluded, we will proceed to remote public comment. Are there any members of the public who are present in the room today who wish to speak? If so, please come forward one by one and speak clearly into the mic. Seeing none, we will proceed to remote public comment. Members of the public who wish to make a public comment on this item should now dial star three to be added to the queue. For those already on hold in the queue, please continue to wait until it is your turn to speak. And see no callers in the queue, public comment on this item is closed. All right, let's call the roll call vote. Vice President Ahn is excused. Vice President Stevenson? Aye. Commissioner Bermejo? Aye. Commissioner Hunter? Aye. 
Commissioner Sullivan? Aye. Commissioner Wald? Aye. Commissioner Wan? Aye. The motion passes. Next item, please. The next item is item three, President's Welcome. This item is for discussion. Good evening, everyone. The Commission on the Environment acknowledges that we occupy the unceded ancestral homeland of the Ramatish Ohlone peoples, who are the original inhabitants of the San Francisco Peninsula. We recognize that the Ramatish Ohlone understand the interconnectedness of all things and have maintained harmony with nature for millennia. We honor the Ramatish Ohlone peoples for their enduring commitment to WARUP, Mother Earth. As the indigenous protectors of this land, and in accordance with their traditions, the Ramatish Ohlone have never ceded, lost, nor forgotten their responsibilities as the takers, caretakers of this place, as well as for all peoples who reside in their traditional territory. We recognize that we benefit from living and working on their traditional homeland. As uninvited guests, we affirm their sovereign rights as first peoples and wish to pay our respects to the ancestors, elders, and relatives of the Ramatish community. As environmentalists, we recognize that we must embrace indigenous knowledge in how we care for San Francisco and all of its people. Thank you for your attention during this important acknowledgement. And thank you very much for joining us this evening. We have a pretty packed agenda this evening, so we're gonna move into it. A few things that we're gonna cover, we'll say see you later to a longtime member of the department who will we will recognize with this evening's environmental service reward. We'll also meet several new staff who will be joining us for introductions tonight. And we're also going to hear a number of presentations. We're going to kick things off with a presentation on the proposed reduced risk pesticide list for city properties for 2022. We'll hear a presentation on the 2021 annual buy green report. We'll continue our discussion on commission oversight of the department's contracting and grant making process. We'll hear an update on the department's racial equity action plan, and we'll witness the official unveiling of the department's brand refresh, including a brand new department logo. So we think it's gonna be a long meeting, so we're gonna get started. Are there any um, points of discussion, commissioners? All right, then let's open it up to public comment, please. We will begin with public comment here in the room. Once in-person comment has concluded, we will proceed to remote public comment. Are there any members of the public who are present in the room today who wish to speak? If so, please come forward one by one and speak clearly into the mic. Seeing none, we will proceed to remote public comment. Members of the public who wish to make a public comment on this item should now press star three to be added to the queue. For those already on hold in the queue, please continue to wait until it is your turn to speak. And it appears we do have one caller in the queue. Caller, it appears that your audio is not connected to WebEx. If you're able to connect your audio, we will unmute you so you can deliver your public comment. We'll give you an opportunity to connect your audio.
Caller, you're unmuted. Your three minutes begins now. Will the airplane? Hold on, hold on. Caller, we are encountering some feedback on your audio. If you are listening to the meeting through a second device, please silence that second device. Hello, caller, we're still getting a considerable amount of feedback on your audio. If you're listening to the meeting through a second device, such as a laptop, please ensure that the audio on that second device is silenced. I'm trying to silence it. We'll try one more time, caller. If you like, you can move to a different part of the location where you're attempting to call. Caller, we're going to unmute you and try one more time. Caller, you are muted. Let's test your audio. Uh, can you hear me? No. There's still a considerable amount of feedback on your line, caller. Oh, is it better? That seems to be better, caller. Okay. Um, I want to say that today marks 60 years since Rachel Carson's Silent Spring was first published. It was on September 27, 1962. The book alerted the world to the danger of toxic pesticides and their catastrophic impact on wildlife. Carson noted that pesticides don't just kill pests. Caller, your comments must be about the president's welcome message. If you have comments on the integrated pest management reduced risk pesticide list, please save them for item eight on the agenda. And see no additional callers in the queue. Public comment on this item is closed. Next item, please. Thank you, Vice President Stevenson. The next item is item four, approval of minutes of the July 26, 2022 Commissioner on the Environment meeting. The explanatory document is the July 26, 2022 meeting draft minutes. This item is for discussion and action. I move approval. All right, we have a movement for approval from Commissioner Sullivan. Do I hear a second? Commissioner Hunter seconds. Any discussion? All right, let's open it up for public comment for this item, please. We will begin with public comment here in the room. Once in-person comment has concluded, we will proceed to remote public comment. Are there any members of the public who are present in the room today who wish to speak? If so, please come forward one by one and speak clearly into the mic. Seeing none, we will proceed to remote public comment.
Members of the public who wish to make a public comment on this item should now press star three to be added to the queue. For those already on hold in the queue, please continue to wait until it is your turn to speak. Seeing no callers in the queue, public comment on this item is closed. Great. Kyle, please call the roll. President Ahn is excused. Vice President Stevenson? Aye. Commissioner Bermejo? Aye. Commissioner Hunter? Aye. Commissioner Sullivan? Aye. Commissioner Wald? Aye. Commissioner Wan? Aye. The motion passes. Next item, please. The next item is item five, general public comment. Members of the public may address the commission on matters that are within the commission's jurisdiction and are not on today's agenda. We will begin with public comment here in the room. Once in-person comment has concluded, we will proceed to remote public comment. Are there any members of the public who are present in the room today who wish to speak? If so, please come forward one by one and speak clearly into the mic. Seeing none, we will proceed to remote public comment. Members of the public who wish to make a public comment on this item should now press star three to be added to the queue. For those already on hold in the queue, please continue to wait until it is your turn to speak. And we do have one caller in the queue. Hello, caller, you're unmuted. Your three minutes begins now. Thank you. Uh, my name is Anastasia Glickstern. I want to bring to the attention of the commission that today marks 60 years since Rachel Carson's Silent Spring was first published. It was on September 27, 1962. Uh, the book alter the world to the dangers of toxic pesticides and their catastrophic impact on wildlife. Carson noted that pesticides don't just kill pests, but as Caller, this is the item for general public comment. Item, uh, comments under this item should not be on matters that are on today's agenda. If your, item, if your comment, rather, is on the approval of the reduced risk pesticides list, please wait and speak for public comment on item eight. And seeing no additional callers in the queue, public comment on this item is closed. Next item, please. Next item is item six, presentation of the Commission on the Environment Environmental Service Award to Jen Jackson, Toxics Reduction and Healthy Ecosystems Program Manager. This item is for discussion. All right, Commissioner Wald. Uh, thank you. Uh, this tribute to Jen Jackson was prepared by Debbie Raphael, the department's former director, and me. Jen Jackson is a warrior spirit and a healing heart. She's able to tackle immensely complex and sensitive issues while never losing sight of who she serves, the people and the planet. She will leave a huge hole in the department 
and on her team. Jen is a team leader, a mentor, a team builder, excuse me, a mentor and a leader. Within the department, she's been a fierce advocate for the people on her team, but she hasn't stopped there. Jen understands that the whole is bigger than the sum of its parts, and so she has shared her keen observations and practical suggestions with her peers outside of her program with the hope of improving the effectiveness and welfare of the entire department. Jen has particularly leaned into the department's equity work, examining and questioning the outcomes and design of each program she leads. She has served as a mentor to staff across program areas, and everyone has known that her door was always open for brainstorming or problem-solving session. Within the Toxics team, Jen has united its members through a shared commitment to rigorous science and deep human compassion, a respect for numbers and a skepticism of paralysis by analysis, a belief in the power of local government to lead the world, and a humility in the face of how little we really understand about the impacts of human activities on the world in which we live. Jen's legacy is broad and deep. IPM, green purchasing, healthy nail salons, flame retardants, perfluorinated chemicals, antibiotics in meat, hazardous waste collection, and also green businesses, biodiversity, urban forestry, the list goes on, but it can't accommodate all of Jen's accomplishments. Ask experts outside of California, and they will tell you that Jen has led local and state governments across the country in standing up to federal shortcomings when it comes to regulating toxic chemicals. She has been an active participant in international efforts to hold industry accountable and to work collaboratively with businesses trying to reduce their chemical impacts. When leadership is needed that is both collaborative and technical, everyone knows that Jen is the person to call. Thankfully, Jen is not leaving the world of toxic reduction. She's bringing her skills, experience, and instincts to the nonprofit sector. We can't wait to see what Jen accomplishes when she unleashes her inner activist. We know the world will be a better place for all of us when she does. One final word about change. Uh, change is always hard, but it can also be positive, even in a case like this one. At a recent presentation, Shoba Iyer, who of course is replacing Chris Geiger, pointed out that change can bring new perspectives, new ideas, and new talents. But change can bring more than that. In thinking about all the changes facing the department, I realized that the work of the department, of all of us, is to get people to change the way, get other people 
to change the way they do business. If one works in an unchanging world, it's easy to forget how much people really, really dislike change, even when it makes sense. I hope that Jen's leaving and all the other changes the department has been undergoing will help all of us in two ways. First, by helping us remember how hard it is for people to change the way they do business. And then second, to use that understanding to become better advocates for the changes that are necessary to save San Francisco and the planet. Thank you. And thank you, Jen. Commissioners, do you have anything to add to that lovely award? I don't know how anyone can improve on what Commissioner <laughs> Wall just said, so I'll just say what Commissioner Wall just said. <laughs> Go ahead, Commissioner Bermeja. I agree with that wholeheartedly, and in particular, warrior spirit, healing heart. Thank you, Jen. Jen, I just want to say that um, in my early time um, as a commissioner, I had meetings with you, and I had no idea what, like, what the city did or how this worked. I mean, green purchasing comes to mind as something that I came in, and one thing that I just value so much about you, which you alluded to, is that no question I asked, you never treated it like a dumb question, but you also never dumbed down your response. You never talked to me in a way that was like belittling it or acting like uh, you had to bring complex ideas and simplify them in some way. You made them understandable, but you never treated them like something that um, this is way beyond you. You don't have to think about it that way. And it just helped me to understand how to start navigating the world of how the city approaches these issues. And I just thank you so much for your gentle touch on that and your I fierce warrior spirit. I think that's a beautiful term. Director Ju. I'll uh, say a few words before before Jen comes up, and I definitely want to echo everything uh, that Commissioner Wald uh, already spoke about and can't do any more justice to your long legacy of, of accomplishments here within the department. But from a, a personal note, just uh, how challenging this time has been over the past few months and how I've personally relied on you in so many different ways, um, whether in your counsel or your strategy or your advice, and how I've admired just your fierce loyalty uh, to your team and how you always put them first in any one of our conversations and their needs first, and similarly did that across all the areas that you impacted, that it wasn't just about the overall mission that you were trying to accomplish, but that we brought everyone to the table in a collaborative spirit. And that's why everyone who has interactions with you, Jen, it could be you know, folks in the grocers, folks internally within the city, folks within the department, everyone speaks um, to just what a gracious collaborative spirit you are and how successful you've been able to get things done. And that's echoed across the board, no matter who you speak to. So I'm deeply saddened um, that you're gonna be leaving us. Uh, you leave the team in great hands um, because that's part of your legacy as well. In addition to all of your environmental accomplishments, it's about what you've instilled within your team and what they'll carry forward. So just thank you and, and congratulations.
Go ahead and come on up, Jen. Thank you, Commissioner Wald, and thank you, all of you commissioners. It's been such a huge honor and pleasure to work for this department. And on the note of change, the decision did not come easily. And I guess I would count myself lucky that the decision was very difficult because it is such a phenomenal place to work. I remember my very first week at Department of the Environment and thinking, wow, I am in the right place. And the support I've gotten to be able to do so many things to pass ordinances, to support and pitch state law that you know now is being replicated across the country. It's it's a huge privilege. And the the setting of San Francisco and having so much political support for reducing toxics and protecting both people and planet is really unparalleled. And so what a huge opportunity and how lucky I feel to have gotten to work here. And I would say even more so though, the people that I've worked with are just incredible. I've, I don't think I've ever been a part of a group of people who are so passionate, so tenacious, smart, and hardworking. And that's a combination that you know gets a lot of stuff done. So um, I will very, very much miss the department and its people and working for the city of San Francisco. And I thank you so much for the opportunities that I've had. Thank you, Jeff. Do any Are there any department staff who would like to say anything? Good evening, commissioners. My name is Pauli Ojea, and I'm the senior coordinator on the commercial toxics team. Jen has been my manager, my coach, my cheerleader, and my friend for the past four years. I'm honored to be here today to celebrate Jen's service to our department and to our world. Jen is somebody that has both vision and the ability to see the details so that you can execute. And a recent example of this is all of the amazing work she's done over the past three to four years on PFAS. It was just a few years ago when the class of PFAS chemicals really came into focus as the environmental community's chemical enemy number one. As Jen's new boss, Arlene Bloom, likes to say, they're so good, but they're so bad, meaning they're really good at doing their job, being stain resistant, water resistant, but they're so, so bad for the environment and human health. And as you all know, here on this commission, PFAS is just about everywhere. Carpets, makeup, dental floss, clothing, car seats, food packaging. Jen looked at this problem, which she's dubbed the multiple-headed hydra, and figured out which mallets SFE could use to attack it. Because of her leadership, PFAS is now banned in compostable foodware and SF. City purchases of carpet and furnishings must be PFAS free. And the San Francisco Fire Department is transitioning away from PFAS containing firefighting foam. And because she's Jen, and she's an excellent collaborator, she did not stop there. She's gotten Bay Area wastewater agencies to work together on this issue, and she's helped draft and move forward state legislation on transparency so we can better understand where the stuff is coming from. 
Jen has inspired us, she's pushed us, and she's listened to us. As a member of her team, I have felt like my ideas have been supported. I have felt like I could bring my whole self to the work. I have felt like I have somebody in my corner encouraging me and helping me succeed. And I know these sentiments are shared by many others on our team. We are all lucky to have crossed paths with Jen and luckier still that she has chosen to continue her work in service to the public good. Jen, thank you for bringing your heart and your talents to SFE these past eight years. I wish you the very best and look forward to our continued work together. Thank you. All right, let's open it up to public comment, please. No, Vice President Stevenson, I think we have um, someone who'd like to comment remotely from the department. Great. Hi there. Um, can you hear me? Yep. Hi, my name is Chris Geiger. I was until recently a, a coordinator for municipal toxics reduction. And I, I just first want to appreciate um, Commissioner Wald and, dip, and um, uh, Director um, Director Ju and Director uh, Rafael's comments. I can't possibly follow up on those. <laughs> can, can't match those. I love the, the expression warrior spirit. I think for Jen, I would add smiling warrior spirit <laughs> she is um, she puts out a, a positive attitude at all times that belies all the tenacity and passion and intelligence that that and strategic thinking that drives her and I, I was just so um, honored to have worked with her for the past seven years uh, her uh, leadership has left its mark as has been mentioned all over the place, uh, locally and nationally, statewide and nationally. You can look at the environment code and see her, her footprints. I'll give just one quick example from her work in PFAS about the level of strategic thinking and just sort of initiative that she, she's uh, had during her stay with us. We were all shocked to find that these fluorinated chemicals were in foodware, things that we eat out of. And uh, the problem there is no one knows which foodware it is in. We had no way of knowing uh, which products had these fluorinated chemicals in, in it. The only way to really know that is if there is a certification that requires no PFAS. And there were no certifications that required it. Um, and so, Jen, uh, went to one of the certifications, uh, Bio Biodegradable Products Institute, had the conversations, had the arm twisting and the cajoling and the collaboration that's needed to make it part of their certification, which in turn made it possible for San Francisco to ban these products in the city. And she helped uh, write the language for that. And, uh, and of course, it's gone bigger than that since then. Um, so her leadership has really left its mark in multiple ways. Um, I, for me, she was 
really not so much a manager as a thought partner and a thought partner and a friend. And um, just, uh, I think in general, a really great collaborator to work with on projects. And I really uh, miss, I miss working with her, but I'm excited for what, uh, Jen, what you're going to be doing at GSPI. So I just want to say, you know, thank you from the bottom of my heart uh, for all that you've done and congratulations on this much deserved award. Thank you. Thank you, Chris. Kyle, are there any other staff members that want to speak remotely? Okay, let's move to public comment then. We will begin with public comment here in the room. Once in-person comment has concluded, we will proceed to remote public comment. Are there any members of the public who are present in the room today who wish to speak? If so, please come forward one by one and speak clearly into the mic. Seeing none, we will proceed to remote public comment. Members of the public who wish to make a public comment on this item should now press star three to be added to the speaker queue. For those already on hold in the queue, please continue to wait until it is your turn to speak. And seeing no callers in the queue, public comment on this item is closed. Thank you, Kyle. All right, commissioners, let's get a photo with Jen and officially present her the award. All right, Kyle, next item, please. The next item is item seven, staff introductions. The speaker is Tyrone Ju, acting director. This item is for discussion. Should have waited for you to be in your seat. Oh, yeah, we're in. Forced me to move a little faster. Um, so just as we're experiencing a bittersweet moment with the departure of Jen, we also get to celebrate all of our new employees, uh, the next generation of environmental warriors for our department. And so we have a number of them in person uh, that I want to bring up to have them introduce themselves. So I'm gonna call up their, their names and which group they're with, and then if you wouldn't mind coming up and then in that order uh, addressing the commission with a few remarks, that would be wonderful. So I have uh, Iceland Yapez, who is an environmental justice associate with our climate team. Shi Wing Lau, who is an environmental education associate with our outreach team. Jessica Reyes, 
who's an environmental education associate with our outreach team, and Katie Lowry, who's a McCarthy Fellow of our policy team. Please come up and introduce yourselves, and welcome. Hi, everyone. I'm Iceland Yepes. I'm the new environmental justice associate at the department. Um, some of my focus areas are on integrated pest management and zero waste at affordable housing sites throughout the city. Prior to working at the department, I was at Brightline Defense as a climate court fellow. But yeah, I'm really excited to be here. I'm happy to be joining the department. Thank you. Welcome. Hello, uh, my name is Si Wang Lau, and I am an environmental education associate with the school outreach team um, at the department. And um, I'm excited to be doing zero waste education in schools throughout San Francisco. Hello, I'm Jessica Reyes. Uh, I am also with Sea Wing and the environmental education team, um, working on zero waste and um, water waste, so yeah. Hi, I'm Katie Lowry. I'm a student at University of San Francisco and the Commissioner Affairs intern, so I will be doing the meeting minutes for today. <laughs> <laughs> Um, we also have two new employees that are participating remotely, and so we'll call them up. Uh, we have Kalia Cruz, who's a commercial zero waste assistant coordinator with our zero waste team, and Chris Satoshi, who's with our C&D program with zero waste as well. He's a fellow of our, with that program. So uh, Kalia, if you want to. Yes. Hello, everyone. My name is Kalia Cruz. I am the Commercial Zero Waste Assistant Coordinator. I will be focusing on the refuse separation ordinance and leading on the compliance work. Um, before starting at SF Environment, I was working at Tesla as an Assistant Environmental Specialist, focusing on hazardous waste. So nice to meet you all remotely, and um, thank you. Hi. Oh, excuse me. Hi, I'm Chris Otoshi. I'm the Construction and Demolition Zero Waste Fellow coming in through the Climate Corps. And I am a recent graduate of UC San Diego, where I majored in environmental systems. And my focus is going to be on the implementation and enforcement of Chapter 14 of the Environmental Code, as well as helping draft policies for uh, BBM, BMM work. Thank you. Thank you. And that concludes uh, our new employees. Thank you. Commissioners, any discussion? All right, let's open the public comment, please. We will begin with public comment here in the room. Once in-person comment has concluded, we will proceed with remote public comment. Are there any members of the public who are present in the room today who wish to speak? If so, please come forward one by one and speak clearly into the mic. Seeing none, we will proceed to remote public comment. Members of the public who wish to make a public comment on this item should now dial star three to be added to the speaker queue. For those already on hold in the queue, please continue to wait until it is your turn to speak. Seeing no callers in the queue, public comment on this item is closed. All right, 
welcome everybody. It's wonderful to have you on board, and we really appreciate you showing up both remotely and in person. It's great to see your faces. All right, next item, please. The next item is item eight, review and vote on whether to accept the policy committee's recommendation to approve resolution file 2022-06-COE, adopting the 2022 reduced risk pesticides list for city properties. The sponsor is Tyrone Ju, acting director. The speaker is Dr. Shoba Iyer, integrated pest management program manager. Explanatory documents are the staff memo, resolution file number 2022-06-COE, and the 2022 draft reduced risk pesticides list. This item is for discussion and possible action. Under the environment code, the department maintains a reduced risk pesticides list identifying those pesticides that may be used on city property subject to restrictions. Uh, thank you, commissioners. Before I begin, I, I do wanna make a brief announcement to our new employees. So if you need to leave, don't, don't be shy and, and feel free to go ahead and exit. So don't feel like you're stuck here until the very end. I just wanna put that out there. Um, so today's discussion of the reduced, reduced risk pesticide list is the last part of our annual process uh, that our integrated pest management program conducts to ensure that we continue to minimize the use of uh, pesticides on city properties. And we continue to seek safer alternatives. Uh, to recap the outreach that's been done so far, in June, the department convened meetings with city IPM professionals to review and update the reduced risk pesticide list. In July, we held a public hearing where we heard city departments explain their IPM work, including the use of tier one or the most hazardous pesticides and any pesticide product exemptions that were granted. Last month, the policy committee of this commission heard from both the department and our city partners at, uh, from the Department of Recreation and Parks and the Public Utilities Commission about the latest pesticide use trends uh, on their properties. At that meeting, the committee voted to recommend that the commission approve the proposed 2022 reduced risk pesticide list for city properties. Uh, you'll see from the data that the use reduction levels of the most limited pesticides are similar to last year's levels. Uh, our city IPM professionals do take their work very seriously and that's why we're able to maintain very low use of both tier one uh, pesticides. Uh, next, I'm gonna turn it over to Dr. Shoba Iyer, who's gonna share more about the IPM program and the proposed changes we're gonna make to the list. Great, thank you. Hi everyone, good evening commissioners. So um, as Director Zhu mentioned, the policy committee met me and heard from me on this topic last month but I'll give a brief introduction of myself to the other commissioners here so you know who I am. Uh, my name is Shoba Iyer, and I'm the Integrated Pest Management Program Manager uh, at SF Environment. I began working in this role in mid-April, so a little over five months ago. I'm in the position that Chris Geiger previously held. Prior to joining SF Environment, I worked for about 10 years state of California in the Office of Environmental Health Hazard Assessment, which is an office within Cal EPA. Um, my education and experience are in toxicology, which is the study of different chemicals in our environment and how exposure to them can be linked with adverse human health and environmental effects. And what really drew me to the field of toxicology is my interest in understanding chemical mechanisms of toxicity so that we have the necessary information to best protect both human health and the environment. So this is a passion of mine that I bring to my role at SF Environment. 
And in addition to working on integrated pest management, I also work on our Buy Green program, where we work with city departments to choose greener, more sustainable options in different product categories. And you're gonna to get to hear about both programs this evening. So my teammate, Taya Jabot, is there in the room with you attending the meeting in person. And at the moment, our municipal toxics reduction team is Taya and me. And I'm working to hire someone to fill the vacant analyst position that um, we have after Jesse and Choi left SFE a few months ago. So that's my intro for you. Uh, next slide, please. So today's action for the commission is to review and vote on whether to accept the policy committee's recommendation to approve the 2022 reduced risk pesticide list for city properties. And note that these are pesticides for use at San Francisco municipal properties. The integrated pest management ordinance has no authority over private and commercial uses of legally registered pesticides. Um, now I do wanna share that integrated pest management or IPM, this program is really much more than a pesticide monitoring or pesticide reduction program. It's really more of a harm reduction program that manages different risks based on the pests that need to be dealt with, as well as the pesticide hazard and the amount used. And the program involves landscape and structure management, lots of education and training opportunities for staff, um, alternatives analysis, and it invokes the precautionary principle. So that said, what I'll cover in my talk today is here on the slide. I'll briefly describe some of the IPM activities that occurred last year in 2021 as well as overall pesticide use trends in San Francisco in the 2021 calendar year. And then I'll tell you some of the ideas I have for the program over the next year. And I'll finish off with recommendations on the reduced risk pesticide list. Next slide, please. Here I'm showing you the key program accomplishments in 2021. And this was work accomplished by Chris Geiger and his team. And Chris provided summaries of this work for the staff memo, the, yeah, the memo that's on the website and that you have and on this slide. Um, so city departments reduced tier one herbicide use by 97.4% from 2010 to 2021. Tier one pesticides are the highest hazard and usually the highest priority for identifying a replacement with the safer alternative. Um, pest inspections, interviews, and data analysis on 1,200 units of affordable housing were completed. This was work that was part of a larger project funded by a grant from the California Department of Pesticide Regulation. And it's a collaborative effort conducted with the Mayor's Office of Housing and Community Development, SFE's Toxics Reduction and Environmental Justice Teams, and various property developers and managers. Accomplishment number three listed here is an administrative update. The previous citywide pest control contract came to an end in 2021. So IPM program staff worked with the Office of Contract Administration to create and implement a new request for proposals for citywide pest management services. The RFP uh, featured really rigorous requirements for the bidders, including pest inspections and a sample IPM plan for a designated city facility. This new contract was finalized and awarded last fall. 
And I'll note that all pest management contractors with the city, not just the citywide pest management contractor, are subject to the IPM ordinance and to choosing products from the reduced risk pesticide list. Uh, the IPM program also continued to convene virtual monthly IPM technical advisory committee or IPM TAC meetings and uh, offered continuing education credits for such IPM topics like alternative herbicides, rodent contraceptive products, and weed management in San Francisco. Next slide, please. I'm showing you here a graph of the citywide tier one pesticide use trend from the baseline year of 2010 to 2021. And again, tier one pesticides are the highest hazard and usually the highest priority for identifying a replacement with a safer alternative. The horizontal axis of the graph here, it shows you the year and the vertical axis shows you the pounds of pesticide applied. And the data show that city departments have reduced tier one pesticide use by 97% since 2010. And that reduction is consistent with 2019 and 2020 numbers. Next slide, please. Here, I'm showing you a graph of all pesticide use citywide from the years 2010 to 2021. You can see the tier three or least hazardous pesticide use reflected by the dotted green line. Tier two or more hazardous pesticides are reflected by the dashed pink line, and the tier one or most hazardous pesticides are reflected by the solid purple line. Like I showed in the previous slide, tier one pesticide use at city properties decreased by 97% over the years. We primarily target these tier one pesticides for reduction in use. And you'll also see that there was a rise in tier three pesticide use in 2021. Tier three pesticides are typically food grade products like essential oils, and they can also include things like soaps and microbials. And one reason that we see rises in tier three pesticide use alongside reductions of tier one and two products is that a larger amount of a safer tier three product might be required to effectively replace a tier one product. So when I was looking at these data and, you know, putting the information together for this talk, I got curious about that rise in tier three pesticides last year. So I took a closer look into what was going on there. And I can tell you that the main driver of that increased tier three use last year was increased fungicide use at the golf course at Harding Park. There are different standards set for golf courses and to maintain the greens for tournaments. And as I mentioned, a larger amount of a tier three product can be required to effectively replace a tier one product. So that's what's explaining the situation here. Um, the amount of tier three fungicides being used at the golf course is large, but the hazard is low. Next slide, please. Here I'm showing you some activities I have in mind for the coming year. We'd like to explore um, some different opportunities for defined IPM program funding sources. We'll begin to have discussions with San Francisco's Department of Public Health, DPH, and other city departments with the goal of improving collaborations on vector control efforts. And on this point, I'm proud to say that our IPM Technical Advisory Committee meeting next week will be on a vector control topic. And we have a guest speaker lined up to present on mosquito management. 
And for the first time, we'll be offering vector control continuing education credits to attendees. Um, for number three here, I, as a toxicologist, am very excited about conducting toxicological reviews of the pesticides used on San Francisco municipal properties. For number four, we've been continuing to hold our IPM Technical Advisory Committee meetings virtually on Microsoft Teams this year, but I'd really like to transition the meeting series to a hybrid format so that folks who uh, want to come in person have that option. And I'd like to begin making some updates to our IPM website. Next slide, please. All right, so now let's talk about the Reduced Risk Pesticide List, or RRPL. The proposed changes I'll summarize here come after we've gone through our annual process, which involves the different meetings that Director Zhu had described earlier. And this slide shows you a summary of the proposed changes. We added one tier two product, a fungicide called Reliant. And this product has use limitations. It can only be used on certain high value trees to protect them from certain fungal pathogens, um, including those that cause sudden oak death. So the reason for this product addition is that Agrifos, which is the product currently on the list for this purpose, is no longer sold. We removed two tier two products from the list. One of those products is Cambistat, which is a growth regulator for street trees. Um, the Department of Public Works had considered using this product on some challenging locations, but they now have a more frequent pruning contract in place, so they don't need to depend on this option to use Cambistat any longer. Uh, we also removed cholecalciferol block baits for rodent control. What we learned from the discussion at our meetings earlier this summer is that City IPM professionals were not finding this product effective for rodent control. Next slide. We have amended the language for eight products on the reduced risk pesticide list. One of those changes is a new use limitation for Garlon 4 Ultra. We are planning to phase out use of Garlon, a tier one herbicide, over the course of the next year or so. Um, as part of a transition to using a product called Vastlan instead, which is a tier two herbicide. And some examples of the other language changes are things like clarifying the language in the product type column of the list and updating a microbial species name to reflect the current taxonomy. Next slide. Thank you for your attention. Um, our contact number and IPM email address are here on the slide and I welcome any questions or comments. Thank you, Dr. I appreciate that. Um, I have a couple com uh, questions, actually. Um, the first is, uh, was there new information that came to light that led us to understand that we could use more Tier 3 to accomplish the same thing? We talked about there being more Tier 3 in Harding Park, I think mostly in the last year, versus the Tier 1 and the drop-off in Tier 1. Was Did something new come to light that helped us to understand that we could do that, or was it just sort of trial and error and we found out? That we could That's swap a good them out. question. Um, I I think it has to do with different dilution rates. Um, this is something I would need to look a little more into um, from last year's data. Thank you. Um, and then my other question is. Um, do we have a, I mean, just thinking about other presentations that we've had here at the commission level, um, do we have a, an idea around 
um, how climate change may impact um, our need to use some of these products, and do we already have a, a sort of forward-looking plan in place if we think that certain pests are going to flourish or maybe die off and we wouldn't have to worry about them? I think that's a great question and one that I have myself. Um, I'm looking forward to learning more about it, um, you know, and talking with some of the biodiversity experts and um, the folks who are observed, who have been in the game long enough to observe some of these changes. Um, I don't know if there are other folks um, who might have a comment on that that they could share. Yeah, I, um, I think it would be an interesting um, maybe presentation or discussion point in the future as we talk about resiliency to think about how that impacts our IPM program in that way too. Jen, do you want to answer? I'll just add that um, one of the activities that Shoba mentioned was looking into some determined funding sources. And that is because the, the city doesn't have a vector control district. It's one of the few counties in the entire state that does not. And so, and I, I speak to that because these issues around climate change, whether we're going to have more mosquitoes or more rats, they really need to be addressed at a more comprehensive level citywide. And I think having some kind of dedicated district like that could help us both understand what are we grappling with when climate change, you know, well, it's already here, um, as we deal with these new challenges, then we also will have funding to address them. Thank you. Appreciate that. And I might just add that, you know, the work that Dr. Iyer and Ms. Jackson are referring to around the coordination between the departments uh, can't underscore that enough because they're the departments that are actually operationalizing what their needs are out in the region within our city parks. And so that collaboration is what yields information about what, we're, what they're seeing uh, on the ground to allow us to make informed decisions and actions. Thank you. Commissioners? Commissioner Sullivan? I have a, an observation and a, and a question for, uh, for Dr. Iyer. Um, the observation is I'm, I'm really happy that we've continued to uh, maintain this really deep reduction in the tier one pesticides from the 2010 level. The, some years it's 97, some years it's something close, but it's a really steep reduction that I think we can be proud of. And, um, and I'm also uh, happy to see that there's sort of a science-based analysis going on. And I, I really have confidence that the team is looking hard at every pesticide that we use and trying to minimize the, the, um, the impact and trying to use the, the tier that will do the job with the least harm to the environment. Um, so thank you for that. And my question um, for Dr. Iyer is whether, whether we expect that the elevated use of the tier three fungicide at Harding is something that's gonna continue into future years, or was there something about this year that caused the spike? Another great question. Um, what I learned is that there was a tournament this last year that may have been a driver for some of the higher uses um, of the tier three fungicides. I think, um, I think as time goes on and as I get to know more about the specific needs for the golf course, I'll get to learn more about exactly that. Um, and yeah, I'm, uh, what I'm learning is that there tends to be spikes in the use when it's tournament season. Thank you. I do need a motion. Thank you, Commissioner. <laughs> Commissioner Wald moves. I move um, that we uh, approve 
uh, the resolution adopting the 2022 reduced risk pesticide list for city properties. Thank you. We have a motion. Do we have a second? Commissioner Burr may have seconds. Any other questions or comments? All right, let's move to public comment, please. We will begin with public comment here in the room. Once in-person comment has concluded, we will proceed to promote public comment. Are there any members of the public who are present in the room today who wish to speak? If so, please come forward one by one and speak clearly into the mic. Seeing none, we will proceed to promote public comment. Members of the public who wish to make a public comment on this item should now press star three to be added to the speaker queue. For those already on hold in the queue, please continue to wait until it is your turn to speak. And we do have one caller in the queue. Hello, caller. You are unmuted. Your three minutes begins now. Thank you. Um, finally, a topic on which I'm allowed to speak. <laughs> I'm speaking about it since 2011, when I first saw the notices of pesticide application. And then when I complained, I was told that this glyphosate, it's very safe and it doesn't go anywhere. As you know, glyphosate is still on reduced risk pesticide list, it goes everywhere if it has never been safe. Now, reduction by 97% of tier one. Uh, part of this reduction is achieved by having the same herbicides, uh, but labeled as tier two. Like last one, like Dr. Ayer expected in the commission involved on a policy committee meeting. Uh, it's the same, uh, except the inactive ingredient makes it slightly safe. So now you can use the same triclopic as much as you wish, and it's reduction in one, uh, in tier one. Uh, another thing is like the names are very misleading. Reduced risk pesticide list. What is it exactly reduced from? Like glyphosate, you don't use much. I know San Francisco doesn't use so much as it used to, but it soon will be banned. But others are not so much researched. They are dangerous. As PFAS, they are everywhere. Like you can have a Test of your urine and see exactly how high glyphosate is in. But there are others which are probably as dangerous, but just less research. Another thing is like this natural area program, uh, natural resource department. Uh, it's like saying that those herbicides, which are not needed for anything, are needed for biodiversity. They are needed for the environment. And that's how chemical industry proceeds. That's their, their playbook. You believe that it's necessary for the environment. 
Like what is sprayed with those herbicides, it's unbelievable. Color lily, they were used for color lily, they were used for white club, they were used for passion flower, uh, recently for falling star, Procosmia, uh, on eucalyptus is of course, uh, sweet pea, uh, giant pea, small pea, potato vine, uh, it's all for biodiversity. Those chemicals are absolutely not needed and they should not be used at all and it should be stopped. So please do it. Thank you. Thank you for your comment. And seeing no further callers in the queue, public comment on this item is closed. All right, with no further public comment or discussion, please call the roll. President Ahn is excused. Vice President Stevenson? Aye. Commissioner Bermejo? Aye. Commissioner Hunter? Aye. Commissioner Sullivan? Aye. Commissioner Wald? Aye. Commissioner Wan? Aye. Motion passes. Let's move to the next item, please. The next item is item nine. Review and vote on whether to accept the policy committee's recommendation to approve the draft 2021 annual Buy Green report. The sponsor is Dr. Shoba Iyer, Buy Green program manager. The speaker is Teo Jabot, Municipal Toxics Reduction Environmental Analyst. Explanatory document is the draft 2021 annual Buy Green report. This item is for discussion and possible action. Dr. Iyer. Thank you. Yeah, so it's me again. I'm now wearing my Buy Green program hat. Uh, the Buy Green program is connected with Chapter 2 of the Environment Code, the Environmentally Preferable Purchasing Ordinance. And this ordinance gives the Commission the opportunity to review and vote on whether to accept the Policy Committee's recommendation to approve the draft 2021 Annual Buy Green Report. This is a report that goes to the Board of Supervisors and to the Commissioners. It's one of the documents posted publicly on the webpage for this meeting. And this year we've slimmed it down into a memo format because we've put our energy into developing our latest tool, which is the Buy Green dashboard. This dashboard and the report are how we allow for transparency and accountability in green purchasing, which can be quite challenging to implement in this program. And I do need to acknowledge that my predecessors, Jen Monet, Chris Geiger, and Jesse and Choi did a lot of the heavy lifting and setting this dashboard up. So I'll tell you about a couple of the longer term buy green projects that our team has in mind for the coming years. One relates to the environmentally preferable purchasing ordinance and this ordinance is 17 years old. So we're gonna be looking at it with some fresh eyes and considering ways we could update it. And we also plan to give our website SF approved a refresh. The last time the full commission heard an update on the Buy Green program was July 27th of 2021. And today you'll be hearing an update from my teammate, Taya Jabot. I'll turn it over to you, Taya. Thank you, Shoba. Good evening, commissioners, everyone. As mentioned, my name is Taya Jabot. I'm an environmental analyst on the toxics reduction team at the San Francisco Environment Department. I'll be presenting our department's annual Buy Green update. Next slide. Before we get into the topic at hand, I'd like to start by introducing our SFE municipal team, Shoba Iyer and me on the toxics reduction team, and Soko Mare and Annie Wong on the zero waste team. Please feel free to reach out to any of us with questions or ideas at buygreen at sfgov.org. Next slide. Now for tonight's topic, 
Many conventionally made products used in our homes and workplaces contain and or were manufactured by using toxic chemicals. Green purchasing, also known as environmentally preferable purchasing, aims to identify products and manufacturing processes that minimize risks and harmful impacts on human health and the environment compared to conventionally manufactured products. Buying green also contributes towards long-term sustainability efforts and saves on costs in the long run. Next slide. Another reason to buy green is because it's the law. Chapter two of the San Francisco Environment Code, the Environmentally Preferable Purchasing Ordinance, or the Buy Green Ordinance, requires the city to ensure that purchases of commodities and expenditures are made in a manner consistent with its human health and environmental policies. Under this ordinance, SFE is also required to annually review and report on city department's progress towards full compliance with it. Next, the Resource Conservation Ordinance, Chapter 5, requires green purchasing through maximizing the procurement of recycled products in order to divert as much solid waste as possible from disposal. This ordinance also helps the city meet the state-mandated 50% diversion requirement. And lastly, the Green Building Ordinance, Chapter 7, also requires green purchasing in the context of city construction and building projects. Next slide. Now here we have several tools in our Buy Green program designed to help city departments buy green. We have a Buy Green training video that is available for all city staff via their employee portal. We also have live and or virtual training sessions specific to individual departments. Our sfapproved.org website was designed for municipal employees to be able to find city regulations and guidelines for green purchasing in specific product categories and subcategories. This website is also accessible and often used by the general public. The Buy Green Dashboard is a tool created for city department directors to see how well their department is doing in green purchasing. The dashboard is based on a compilation of data that we collect from suppliers under city contract. The last major tool highlighted here is our use of restricted catalogs. These catalogs allow us to restrict supplies that are accessible for purchase by city departments to only those that are compliant. The Staples Advantage platform is one prime example. Next slide. And finally, I wanna highlight one more thing we do to encourage city departments to buy green, and that is our Buy Green Award. This award recognizes and honors city departments who have demonstrated leadership and have gone above and beyond in green purchasing. The 2021 award went to the facilities department at the San Francisco International Airport represented by their department director, Leroy Cisneros. Next slide. On that celebratory note, thank you all for your time and attention. And again, please feel free to reach out to our team with any questions or ideas at buygreen.ssgov.org. Thank you so much. Commissioners, any questions, comments? Do I hear a motion? 
All right, moved by Commissioner Bermejo, seconded by Commissioner Wong. Oh, oh did you sorry, have a question? I have a question. All right, question first. Quick question, so with the, uh, the pandemic, how is the disinfecting products has been provoked, has been affected the whole by green uh, catalog, or has there been also any special specifications, what type of disinfectant products that are, that are green to give the instruction to the department? Just wondering. I'm sorry, I didn't quite hear the question. So how the pandemic that I know there will be a lot more purchase in terms of disinfecting like products mm -hmm. and how is that part of the category or how has it been an impact on the uh, purchasing? Our disinfectants actually fall under the pesticides category. Yeah, so I, I don't really know the trends on that, but we could follow. So even hand sanitizers or like wipes and masks, they all under. What was that? The, like for example, masks. Mm -hmm. uh, hand sanitizers, oh. those, would those be under this category or would that be pesticide? Okay. Uh, the mass, I believe, would fall under the by green category, but the actual um, hand sanitizers, those would fall under pesticides. I see. Yeah. So we did a lot of work during COVID, um, especially in the very beginning, to try to help city departments identify safer disinfectants we do have specifications for hand sanitizers as well, and they're suggested, but they are on our SF-approved website. And we did an extensive page on our website for all of the safer disinfectants. And we actually shared that nationally. We did some pretty heavy lifting to compare what were safer, um, the active ingredients that EPA approves, plus all the other ingredients in those products. So that was work that Chris Geiger and Jesse and Choi did. And we published that nationally and a lot of other agencies across the country sort of picked and chose what they could. But the supply chain challenges were very, very difficult. So a lot of departments in the city were just buying anything they could. And there was actually a citywide emergency procurement uh, clause that was invoked that allowed city departments to purchase um, especially disinfectants and cleaners outside of the requirements of the buy green ordinance because people just were having a tough time finding anything. But we're back to where we were before the pandemic and departments are really, really keen to be purchasing safer products and also not to overuse disinfectants because we know that we shouldn't be using them in every location, but only in high touch surfaces. And I think that the pandemic really helped city departments understand that even better. Um, and uh, so I think we're potentially in a better place than we were before. That's very helpful. Thank you. All right. I have a motion by Commissioner Bermejo. Do I have a second? I will second. Commissioner Sullivan seconds. Let's open it up to public comment, please. We will begin with public comment here in the room. Once in-person comment has concluded, we will proceed to remote public comment. Are there any members of the public present in the room today who wish to speak? If so, please come forward one by one and speak clearly into the mic. And seeing none, we will proceed to remote public comment. Members of the public who wish to make a public comment on this item should now dial star three to be added to the queue. For those already on hold in the queue, please continue to wait until it is your turn to speak. And seeing no callers in the queue, public comment on this item is closed. 
All right, let's take a roll call vote, please. President Ahn is excused. Vice President Stevenson. Aye. Commissioner Bermejo. Aye. Commissioner Hunter. Aye. Commissioner Sullivan. Aye. Commissioner Wald. Aye. Commissioner Wan. Aye. All right, the motion passes. Thank you, Taya, and thank you, Dr. Ayer. Next item, please. The next item is item 10, review and vote on whether to approve resolution file 2022-08-COE, resolution requiring commission approval of Department of the Environment contracts and grants. The sponsor is Tyrone Ju, acting director. The speaker is David Kashani, contracts and grants manager. Explanatory document is resolution file 2022-08-COE, resolution directing the Department of the Environment to require commission approval of contracts and grants. This item is for discussion and possible action. Thank you, Kyle. Um, so just before David starts, I, I want to provide a little bit of context. Uh, the discussion you're going to hear today is a follow-up to our conversation on July 26th. Um, at that meeting, we presented on what the uh, current process is for approval of contracts and grants within the Department of Environment. Uh, and then we received feedback from all of you around kind of your priorities and, and where you, what direction you wanted to go. Uh, so this next presentation is a follow-up to that uh, to present to you and represent uh, what we thought could be a possible path for the commission to consider. Um, the commission, for example, expressed interest in having greater oversight uh, over contracts and grants, but also not becoming a bottleneck for kind of the daily kind of management of contracts and grants with the department. The commission expressed interest in wanting to have greater oversight and approval over all agreements with recology. And uh, the commissioners uh, expressed a preference for determining, you know, what large contracts and grants uh, might be a, a reasonable uh, oversight kind of mechanism for uh, this commission to consider, again, with the caveat of not becoming a bottleneck within the process. So what David is going to present is kind of our attempt to represent uh, what we heard from the commission and offer up a proposal. And what you'll note from the resolution is, you know, depending on what feedback we hear from the commission, you know, if the commission should like to choose a different dollar threshold, uh, the resolution is pretty simply worded where, you know, those dollar thresholds could be amended and uh, considered for action today still. And so with that, I'll turn it over to David. Uh Thank you, uh, Acting Director Ju. Um, commissioners, I'm David Kashani, Contracts and Grant Manager with the Department of Environment. Um, if you recall from the presentation in July, we discussed four main um, areas of commission oversight. We represented some background information in regards to MOUs, incoming funding, and outgoing funding in the form of the department's contracts and grants over the last five years. Uh, the department has done some additional research and is here today to present that recommendations to the commission. Um, next slide, please. As a quick summary over the four topics, MOUs are not currently reviewed by this commission. Incoming funds that were budgeted are reviewed through the budgeting process. However, unbudgeted items are not currently reviewed by the commission. Contracts are not reviewed by the commission and grants are presented, but there's no requirement to, um, of commission approval prior to the execution of those grants. Um, the decision for the commission is which of those four areas should be brought before commission for approval, and if so, at what material thresholds? Next slide, please. 
Regarding MOUs, the recommendation is to keep the current process mostly the same, but to update it to implement a requirement that any MOU entered into by the department involving Recology, its parent company, or subsidiaries be brought before the commission for approval to execute. Also, in the event of another firm um, being awarded an agreement for work historically performed by Recology, for example, the landfill or household hazardous waste collection facility agreement, um, that the new firm will have the same requirement added to it. Next slide, please. Regarding incoming funding, as you may recall from the previous presentation, budgeted incoming funding is reviewed and approved uh, by this commission normally through the city's standard budget approval process. Um, unbudgeted funds in excess of $100,000 are approved by the Board of Supervisors through accepted expense. Um, so to ensure that all funding has acknowledgement and oversight, the recommendation is to include in the director's report the acceptance of all unbudgeted funding under $100,000 that the department receives. <coughs> Next slide, please. Regarding the grants that the department issues, the recommendation is to implement a requirement that any grant, $100,000 or more, must obtain a commission approval before it may be executed. Um, it should be noted, however, the department is committed to presenting all grants, regardless of size, to this commission for oversight. The recommendation is to establish a new hard-line threshold of $100,000 for mandatory uh, requirement of approval. Next slide. To better understand this recommendation, uh, the $100,000 threshold, while representing 16% of the grants issued, represents 42% of all grant funding awarded over the past five fiscal years. Next slide, please. Regarding contracts that the department issues, the recommendation is to implement a requirement that any contract $1 million or over obtain commission approval before it may be executed. Our recommendation is also that each com at each commission, the director's report will include information on all contracts awarded regardless of size. Uh, the commission will be informed of all contracts awarded in the director's report, as well as the additional requirement of a presentation before this commission for approval of any contract over $1 million. Next slide, please. To better understand this recommendation, the $1 million threshold, while representing 29% of contracts issued, represents 90% of the department-funded contracts awarded over the past five fiscal years. Thank you. Next slide. So the table before you is basically the summary of the recommendations. The overall recommendation is an effort to achieve meaningful material oversight without inserting processes that extend an already significant timeline. The recommendation proposed establish a standard of oversight over the department's funded funding sources as well as expenditure agreements by implementing reporting requirements and approval thresholds. For MOUs, the top line, um, we again, we recommend, as a recap, uh, we recommend commission approval of any Department of the Environment agreement with Recology, its subsidiaries, or any other provider of services to, uh, to the Household Hazardous Waste Collection Program or other refuse services. We believe that this provides additional oversight of Recology-related items given the significant amount of funding to the department and long-term commitments tied to those MOUs. For incoming funding, we recommend unbudgeted funding under $100,000 to be included in the director's report. This is due to the bulk of the department's funding being approved through established protocols 
but we acknowledge that a gap can occur when there's new funding to coming to the department in under $100,000. This change would assist in having acknowledgement and oversight over all funding coming to the department. For outgoing grants, we recommend commission approval to be required for all new grants, $100,000 and above, but also amendments that cumulatively increase the funding by 50% or more and are over the $100,000 threshold um, have a requirement of commission approval for execution. And similarly for contracts, commission approval required for all new contracts is in excess of $1 million and also amendments that cumulatively increase the funding by 50% or more that are over the $1 million threshold be um, required for commission approval. We believe at these thresholds, the commission establishes material compliance approval and oversight of the department's grant and contract commitments. Um, further, all new awards, regardless of size, will be included in the director's report, uh, director's report to provide additional transparency. Um, thank you, I'm here to answer any questions you may have. Thank you for that. Commissioners, questions, comments, feedback? Go ahead, Commissioner Wald. I have a question. Uh, could you sort of operationalize this uh, for me? So the director's report, we usually receive one of those once every two months at the commission meetings. Um, Um, is, that, is that really enough? You, you think that'll be enough time, but what about all these other ones? Uh, is, is it going to go to the full commission or a committee? Um, and if a committee, I assume it's not the policy committee, but it, that only meets once every three months. So uh, the intent is that the contracts, for example, over a million dollars would be brought to the full commission. And so we would build that into our contracting schedule uh, to ensure that you know, we meet kind of those requirements and not delay that. We think based on the number of contracts that we have that are over a million dollars while significant, representing 90% of all of our contracts, you know, represent, I think, on average between two to five uh, per year, which we think we can fit within the existing commission schedule without having to make any changes there. As far as the reporting on the director's report, uh, this is an attempt where the commission isn't going to have approval on anything that's within the director's report. They're being disclosed for transparency. That's so those actions may have taken place within that two-month period. Right. And we'll be notifying the commission through uh, the update that we've taken a contract action or a grant action uh, in that in-between period. Okay. That was very helpful. Can I ask one more question? And that is... Um, who are the other people or institutions that the department has MOUs with? Uh, how Recology isn't the only one. Who, what kind of MOUs are we, are excluded from this process? That's a, that's a great question, Commissioner. Uh, it can run the entire gamut of, of, of MOUs. We have MOUs or agreements within city departments. So when we have an executed agreement or work order of a city department, we may have a uh, memorandum agreement or understanding with them. Uh, we also do memorandum understandings between city to city um, or mm -hmm. institution to institution. So let's give you an example of the types of MOUs we, we typically sign if we were to sign them. Um, well, yeah. so I understand why you're including recology, but 
Can you give me some sense of why you're excluding all the others? Uh, generally because they don't have material, a lot of the memorandums of understanding do not have some material financial uh, interest, mm -hmm. unlike with Recology where right. there is significant financial interest uh, to both the department and the city. So greater oversight in, in my mind is needed specifically for those contracts. The remainder of the MOUs uh, that I've seen during just my brief tenure mm -hmm. have been mostly just agreements to either share information or work orders within the departments that are maybe financially related, but obviously governmentally uh, kind of transactional based, uh, which I believe don't require that level of oversight that something on the outside would. Thank you very much. Can I ask a question? Go ahead, Commissioner Wan. Just a clarify, uh, clarifying question. So for outgoing funding grants that is under $100,000, would there still be commission presentation? Yes, there's still a commitment to present um, all grants awarded. Um, also, it'll be included in the director's report as a note, but there also will be a com uh, presentation of okay. grants. It's not clear, so thank you. Yeah, yeah and, and this, is, this is actually consistent with current commission, uh, our current commission practice, which is we bring forward all outgoing grants to the commission. Uh, what we've done here is just kind of draw, as, as David described, a, a hard line of <coughs> where it will absolutely be required uh, in the process to bring it before commission for approval versus our intent is actually to bring everything as we historically have to the commission uh, for approval because we think it's a good thing uh, when we do issue grants out to the community. Can I get a motion, please? Moved by Commissioner Wan. Do we have a second? Second, second by Commissioner Hunter. Let's have a note to public comment. Thank you. We will begin with public comment here in the room. Once in-person comment has concluded, we will proceed to remote public comment. Are there any members of the public who are present in the room today who wish to speak? If so, please come forward one by one and speak clearly into the mic. And seeing none, we will open it up to remote public comment. Members of the public who wish to make a public comment on this item should now dial star three to be added to the queue. For those already on hold in the queue, please continue to wait until it is your turn to speak. <coughs> Seeing no callers in the queue, public comment on this item is closed. Let's vote, please. President Ahn is excused. Vice President Stevenson. Aye. Commissioner Bermejo. Aye. Commissioner Hunter. Aye. Commissioner Sullivan. Aye. Commissioner Wald. Aye. Commissioner Wan. Aye. Motion passes. Next item, please. The next item is item 11, update on racial equity action plan. The sponsor is Tyrone Chu, acting director. Speakers are Shada Mehta, senior environmental justice coordinator, and Soko Made. City Government Zero Waste Senior Coordinator. Explanatory documents are the 2021 San Francisco Department of the Environment Staff Survey, Racial Equity Data Report, and Departmental Racial Equity Progress Report for 2021. This item is for discussion. Great, uh, thank you, Commissioners. I'll, I'll do a brief introduction and, and quickly turn it over to both Shrada and Soko, who have truly been the leaders of our racial equity action or work within the department. Um, as this commission knows and has uh, noted on several occasions, you know, racial equity is a, is a priority, not only for the commission, but for our department. 
And it's important that we carry forward all of our work, all of our environmental work with that equity lens in mind. Um, while you know, I've been here a brief while, some of the things that I've kind of prioritized in terms of helping to implement the Racial Equity Action Plan, uh, my focus has been on, one, obviously increasing the diversity of the department uh, through our recruitment and retention. Uh, two, advocating for additional resources, both in staff and in budget, to support the work within the, the department. And so we have good news to report there. And the last is restructuring kind of our performance planning process and also incorporating uh, racial equity into that process uh, to ensure that it becomes uh, incorporated into everything we do and with all of our evaluations of employees. Uh, we've made a lot of progress, and I'm going to not take away any of the thunder from Strata and Soko and allow them to present their findings. Thank you, Tyrone. Good evening. My name is Shreva Mehta, and I'm the Senior Environmental Justice Coordinator at the San Francisco Environment Department. And I'm also one of the department's racial equity leaders, along with Soko Made here. Since it has been a while since we provided an update on the department's racial equity action plan, um, next slide, please, Kyle. Um, I'll brief, briefly review a timeline of some of the key milestones of our racial equity initiative. In December 2020, we submitted our phase one racial equity action plan to the city's Office of Racial Equity. And since then, we've been implementing actions in the plan. We hired a consultant to conduct our all staff survey and produce a report on the findings. And we also submitted our annual progress report to the Office of Racial Equity last March. The survey findings report and the annual progress report are in your commissioner packets um, as explanatory documents, but we will walk you through some of the highlights from both of those documents today. Next slide. So I'll start with a few high-level updates. As you know, funding has always been a challenge for this department, and the racial equity work has been significantly more work than existing staff have been able to handle on top of their regular work. So we are pleased to announce that the department received funding in this year's budget to hire a new senior racial equity coordinator, as well as additional funding, $125,000, for racial equity consulting services, professional services. So one other update is that racial equity work is now a separate goal that is included in the department's strategic plan. And in 2021, the department was able to send a subset of staff to a few trainings hosted by Be The Change Consulting. These included facilitating racial equity conversations and culturally responsive supervision. And these trainings were in addition to our annual racial equity 101 training and our racial equity tools training that Soko and I lead. With respect to the use of the tools, um, one major accomplishment was that our racial equity tools were applied to 51 programs and policies of the department, including all of the strategies in our climate action plan. As I mentioned, the department submitted an annual progress report on the implementation of our racial equity action plan to the Office of Racial Equity last March. And we also worked with Be The Change Consulting to administer our 2021 staff racial equity survey. Be The Change then put together um, highlights of the survey findings and some key recommendations. And we'll go through some of the highlights, um, which include successes and some areas for improvement for our department. 
and that have um, largely guided our 2022 priorities, which SOCO will share. Next slide. Our racial equity survey was distributed to all staff last November, 2021, and the survey yielded an 80% response rate with 65 complete responses out of 81 staff members. So pretty good response rate. The survey consisted of 32 questions, which included demographic information, close-ended statement evaluation, and some open-ended questions as well. And the survey tool included two validated scales on racial microaggressions and everyday discrimination. In addition, uh, the consultant conducted 10 interviews with SFE staff who were selected from a pool of survey respondents that expressed interest in, um, in their survey response form. The participants were selected to ensure diversity in race, gender, program area, supervisory role, and tenure. The interview consisted of eight questions which invited participants to expand on their experience of microaggressions and various isms in the workplace and other inequities and um, just their experience with racial equity work at the department. Um, including barriers and some suggestions for um, improvements. So next slide. Here is the breakdown of respondents by race, gender, and supervisory status. It's important to note that these were not the only categories that were offered to respondents in the survey, and um, some of the responses were omitted in accordance with DHR guidelines which require us not to share responses where there were less than 10, 10 individuals or less so that we could protect employee privacy. Next slide. It's great that 92% of respondents strongly agreed or agreed that it's valuable for SFE to discuss race and the impacts of race and, and strive for um, equity in our internal and external practices. This majority percentage really shows the intrinsic motivation of staff and the desire of staff to engage in our equity efforts. We also have a high percentage of staff who have completed implicit bias and racial equity training. Um, and we have a few upcoming mandatory trainings next month, so this number will increase to 100% very soon. Next slide. We asked staff to rate the effectiveness of a few of our racial equity efforts. This data shows that the majority of SFE's programs are using the racial equity scan tool, and the effectiveness rating for the tools is relatively high. Next slide. Survey and interview responses showed that there is concern around fairness in hiring and promotion practices. SFE's workforce data also shows that racial and ethnic diversity of staff decreases as classification increases. When asked, when there are promotional opportunities at SFE, do you feel all staff, regardless of race, have equal opportunity? Nearly 22% of respondents said no. So hiring, recruitment, and promotions will be a focus area for us this year, as Ty mentioned. Next slide. 
Staff were asked about the presence of different isms and inequities, um, and the top three most present forms include power imbalances, 80%, tokenism, 72%, and elitism, 69%. From the interviews, the presence of power imbalances in the department was most cited in relation to the fact that senior leadership positions are held mostly by white people. At the other end of the spectrum, temporary, intern, and lower classification positions are predominantly held by people of color, which several interviewees cited as being used as the face of the department or to make the department seem more diverse and equitable than it is. Several respondents mentioned that people in these classifications lack opportunities to be mentored and promoted to higher positions within the department. It was also mentioned that when people of color have less positional power, they have less influence over the overarching culture of the department. About two-thirds of all respondents, or 65%, witnessed microaggressions. Over half of all the respondents experienced microaggressions. And when looking at the presence by race and gender, 59% of white women experienced microaggressions. Women of color and men of color rated consistently with 50% of each group having experienced microaggressions compared to 36% of white men. Over a tenth of all respondents experienced microaggressions once or more than once per month in the workplace. Another survey question asked respondents to assess their safety and comfort level in reporting issues. And in general, the data showed that white people and white men in particular experience more comfort and safety in elevating issues pertaining to racial inequities to those in positional power. Um, next slide. Our workforce analysis for calendar year 2021 shows similar results to the one that was completed in 2019 and that was shared with the commission then. Um, racial and ethnic diversity decreases as classification increases. And this is also reflected in the wage disparities between white and BIPOC staff. Um, in the 2021 staff survey, the BIPOC staff rate is 78 cents for every dollar made by white staff. And 19% of BIPOC staff and 34% of white staff marked agree or strongly agree that they feel they are being fairly compensated for the work they are performing. So that's a few highlights um, from our workforce analysis and our survey, and I'm gonna turn it over to Soko, and she'll share how these findings relate to our racial equity priorities for 2022. Thank you. Thank you, Shreda. Um, good evening, commissioners. I am Soko Made, uh, the City Government Zero Waste Senior Coordinator at the department, and I'm also one of the co-leaders on racial equity with Shredda here. Um, so the findings from the survey and workforce analysis relate to all seven sections of our racial equity action plan and have helped us identify specific priorities for um, these sections. Next slide. Oh, I'm sorry, yeah. Our plan, our progress report. Next slide. Okay. Um, the sections are hiring and recruitment, retention and promotion, discipline and separation, diverse and equitable leadership, mobility and professional development, 
organizational culture and, of inclusion and belonging, and boards and commissions. Now I'll briefly go through the priorities in the next few slides. Next slide, please. The first is hiring and recruitment. Um, so we will be looking at a hiring and recruitment policy which will promote standardized, okay, I can't say the word, um, looking to promote being standard in how we do our recruitment and transparency, expand recruitment efforts, including engaging civil rights groups, community organizations, representing underrepresented communities and networks, um, revising minimum qualifications to eliminate unnecessary requirements that could limit the applicant pool, and of course then um, measure progress through data collection and tracking. Next slide. Uh, the second is retention and promotion. So we're looking to establish promotion criteria for staff advancement and ensure um, that promotion decisions are standardized and transparent. Um, we want to focus on employee retention, um, including exit and stay interviews, and then, of course, measuring progress through data collection and tracking. Next slide. The third is discipline and separations. So as of December 31st, 2021, there were 42 employees in exempt positions and 39 in permanent positions. Um, so our priority in this section is to convert positions to permanent civil service and we're happy to say that we are currently working on this action. So we will soon see a shift in the percent of permanent civil service positions at the department. Next slide. Okay, diverse and equitable leadership. So some of our priorities include identifying strategies to improve diversity in managerial and leadership positions, um, having racial equity training and, co and coaching, including training on facilitating racial equity conversations. Our racial equity consultant will soon be conducting a few trainings, as Shreda has said, and will also begin coaching our program managers and any other supervisors. Um, we also want to continue to institutionalize the use of the racial equity tools and track changes that have been made through this use. And then increase leadership engagement on racial equity and ensure that racial equity work is well-structured and well-resourced. Next slide. Okay, so mobility and professional development. Um, we're currently working with fellow racial equity leaders from other city agencies and the racial equity consultants to develop guidelines for in-house mentorship programs. And then we wanna standardize inclusion of profession, actually we are standardizing inclusion of professional development objectives in our work plan and um, performance plan and appraisal reports, PPARs. Next slide. So this section has a lot of um, priorities in it, but. Shraddha was great enough to like summarize them into the three that you see on the slide. Um, essentially, we want to engage with BIPOC staff to understand low effectiveness of low effectiveness ratings of trainings and customize trainings and coaching to better meet their needs. We want to implement structural changes to expand capacity to implement racial equity action plan and improve accountability for all staff and reduce the burden on staff of color. 
We also need to educate all staff on the protocols to report a grievance, complaint, or any form of workplace bias, discrimination, or harassment. And then finally, teach staff how to interrupt or report a microaggression when witnessed, whether they are centrally involved or not. Next slide. And finally, um, boards and commissions. Um, currently, we are collecting biannual um, demographic data from both the Commission on the Environment and the Urban Forestry Council members. And we are wanting to integrate more racial equity agenda items at the commission meetings. Uh, we anticipate more activities for the commission when we embark on in developing our phase two of the racial equity action plan. Um, we have currently been asked by the Office of Racial Equity to focus on our phase one because we don't have a template yet, but that's not stopping us from starting to work a little bit more with community by using our racial equity tools. Next slide. So our next steps um, will include um, having staff included, okay, sorry. Staff will be including racial equity goal into their performance plan and appraisal reports, which is awesome. Um, we will have two trainings for staff done by our consultants, one on racial equity foundations and the other on microaggressions. Shred and I will also be conducting um, a racial equity tools training for new staff and any other staff that need a refresher. And as mentioned, we've already made progress on several priorities and our racial equity steering committee liaisons are leading on the implementation of those priorities. And I'm happy to note that we actually have six, six of our um, racial equity steering committee liaisons here with us today. So um, next slide. That's it from us. Thank you so much for your time and happy to answer any questions you may have. That was a great report. Thank you. Um, First off, I'm incredibly happy to see the funding for the position because the lift that you two have been undertaking over these last years of work has been amazing and also is a full-time job and isn't what you, what you do in your day-to-day. -day. So I'm really, really thrilled to see that. Um, and I think there's a big difference between uh, stating that you support something and then putting resource and time behind it. And I'm really, really pleased to see that. So that's amazing. And it's a testament to the work and the importance of the work that you all have been doing. Um, I have a question about um, whether or not you feel supported in this work in terms of sharing data across departments. I know that initially there was a working group that was a number of different people from different departments. Is all of this work being undertaken with help from everybody sort of sharing information and insight, or is this something that you feel like you're siloed and doing in the Department of the Environment? I think it's a little bit of both. There's some data that we can get citywide, and then it's going to vary based on what we're doing and what we need specifically. So I also know it's a challenge citywide, and we've brought that up to the Office of Racial Equity, so that's something they're looking into with, I think it's the controller's office looking at data SF to see if we can get mm. more um, data that's citywide and also um, Department of Human Resources. Yeah, okay. That's helpful. And then um, is there a way, I think if, in a future presentation, it would be great to report on new positions and promotions independently from the overall totals so that we can see if the work that we're doing in bringing, especially when you're talking about workforce development, bringing new people on board and making sure that promotions are happening. I think it would be great to see those things spelled out separately. Yes, that's something that we can do. Awesome, thank you. <laughs> Commissioners, any questions or discussion? 
All right, Commissioner Walt. Uh, so uh, clearly some of the information that you provided was concerning in terms of how people are feeling about their uh, place in the department and their position uh, in this work. And sort of as a follow-up to what President Stevenson asked, do, do you have any sense of how this department compares to other departments uh, in the city? Is that part of what you all are sharing or what the Office of Racial Equity is sharing with you? Yes, we have um, monthly meetings as a citywide racial equity work group that those meetings are led by the Office of Racial Equity and the Office of Racial Equity also held a, um, a retreat, a day-long retreat mm -hmm. with racial equity leaders across all the departments where we were able to talk about some of these issues. And I do feel that these are common um, sentiments across all departments and um, workforce analysis looks similar across departments as well. So I think these are common challenges and the great thing about being a part of the citywide racial equity work group is that some of these challenges are issues that, um, that we can tackle together, that are, they're citywide issues and they need to be addressed in that way rather than individually by departments. So yes, we have um, found that to be helpful to work with other city agencies. And the Office of Racial Equity has also created um, smaller working groups around specific subjects. So for example, there is a working group that I'm a part of that um, is focusing on minimum qualifications mm -hmm. of positions. And so there are representatives from other city departments and the Department of Human Resources to kind of focus on that issue together. Thank you. Yep, Commissioner Roth. One quick question. First of all, thank you for the presentations. I'm really glad how the whole plan come together and now into implementation. I'm just wondering, wondering with the new funding, uh, what scope of work will the professional service cover? Would that be training or actually helping to support the plan for this coming year? Um, right now, we are uh, working with the consultant on trainings for our department. Um, pretty soon, later, um, I think starting in November, they will start doing some coaching as well with um, supervisors and senior staff and leadership. Um, and then down the road, we may look at other um, services that they could support our department with. For example, maybe if we want to look at um, exit, developing an exit interview or stay interviews for staff, that might be something that they could support us with but for right now, it's training and coaching primarily. Anything else? All right, thank you very much for the presentation. Can we open it up to public comment, please? We will begin with public comment here in the room. Once in-person comment has concluded, we will proceed to remote public comment. Are there any members of the public who are present in the room today who wish to speak? Seeing none, we will proceed to remote public comment. Members of the public who wish to make a public comment on this item should now dial star three to be added to the queue. For those already on hold in the queue, please continue to wait until it is your turn to speak.
And seeing no callers in the queue, public comment on this item is closed. All right, thank you again for all your work and all, over all these years, we really do appreciate it and it's exciting to see this all come to fruition. Next item, please. The next item is item 12, update on Department of the Environment Branding. The sponsor is Tyrone Jew, Acting Director. The speaker is Mark Nicholas, Graphic Designer. This item is for discussion. All right, Commissioners, we're gonna switch gears a little bit. Uh, I'm pleased to unveil an update to the department's branding. Uh, you know, having a communications background myself, uh, branding is very important for an organization as far as you know, how the public perceives the organization, how they respond and react uh, to that branding and also whether or not the branding is accessible uh, to the public at large. So these are all the different things that uh, make for a successful branding of any sort of company or department or organization. Uh, this work actually began uh, prior to me starting here, so I want to acknowledge that. And I'm really pleased that the work has continued, though, uh, thanks to the leadership of our graphic designer, Mark Nicholas, who's going to give a presentation on this current rebranding design. Mark? Thank you for the introduction, Acting Director Hughes. Um, and thank you, Commission, for letting me speak today. It's a delight. I'm excited to share with you our work on this topic. Um, I'll start with a little bit about myself. I've been with the department for 10 years as graphic designer. And in that capacity, very invested in the department. And a big part of what I do is steward the style guide, our brand, which is how the world sees the department. And um, as part of that work, I think it's very important to periodically step back and really assess how effective it is, how effective our communication is, and what we can improve. So with that, um, next slide. I'd like to start with the background on this project. Uh, next slide. Um, so I thought I'd start with an image of our current logo. Um, which is, of course, um, one of the major parts of our brand, the most recognizable part. And we began with a goal um, over two years ago, and that was to adapt SV's current guidelines to be more contemporary, relevant, and engaging, while still maintaining that brand identity that we worked so hard to achieve, that recognition and trust. Next slide. And we were looking at um, the last, well, the, the, the brand, the last update to the brand was 2008. Um, that also included a style guide um, and all the other components of the brand. So what we're looking at holistically is not only the logo, but all the elements that are design elements that comprise the brand. Next slide. Um, we wanted to step back at this moment in time um, to really assess our audiences and how they access information. Next slide. Um, we also recognized a real opportunity to adapt the brand now to current technology uh, because so much has changed since 2008. Next slide. Um, we also recognized a big opportunity in incorporating the latest standards for accessibility in our design system, and that will make us uh, more effective in reaching a broader audience, people that have various abilities and various ways of getting our information. Next slide. So all the work really um, starts with the research phase. Next slide. And what we wanted to do is really start with, from my perspective, 
as keeper of, of the style guide and, and the person that uses the brand on a day-to-day -day basis. What, what kind of issues was I finding with it? What was my assessment? Um, so I wrote a report on that topic, and that's available should anybody uh, want to read that. And um, that was published in July of 2020. Next slide. But next we wanted to broaden our, our lens and see what our stakeholders think of the brand. Um, what do people on social think of the brand? Um, what do our staff think of the brand? So we put together a survey um, with uh, many different questions. Some were tailored to staff and we sent that out first. We asked staff to send the survey to their colleagues in the field. And we also went to social media on our channels and we did polls there. So we really cast a wide net just to find out essentially what do people think of our department now? What did they used to think of it? And how do they look at us going into the future? And all the answers to those questions were really interesting. And um, in the next slide, um, we, we really wanted to dive into that and find out what the audience's needs were. Where did they have delight? Where was their confusion? And where were their pain points when people engaged with our brand? Next slide. All the results of those surveys and that inquiry are in a report that was published in April of 2021. Again, that's available should anybody want to read it. We have amazing pull quotes from um, open-ended questions that we ask the public, how they think about us now, how they think about us going into the future. So it was a real good lens at this pivot point to think about, like as an inflection point, where are we going and how could the brand really support that journey? Next slide. Um, a really great thing was that that polling and survey, um, the survey results really validated the initial internal hypotheses that we had. Next slide. Uh, the brand has strong positives, but was considered busy. Next slide. There was confusion about the government identity of the organization. Next slide. And interestingly, there was a lot of confusion about the actual name of the organization. Next slide. And this really, you, you could imagine all these people and staff answering the phones and how do they announce where they work. And we found that there are many different ways that people express that, and even our stakeholders had some confusion on that point. These are just some of the different ways that we detected people referring to us. Next slide. All this research was discussed collaboratively with a core group, which comprised of the director and a core team that was kept small so that we could make nimble decisions about all this research. And we also shared some of this with some of the commission. Next slide. And we came up with some recommendations. Next slide. Above all, we want to refresh the brand by simplifying the logo. Next slide. We want to preserve the essence of the brand while modernizing it. Next slide. Uh, reinforce the government identity and naming of the organization. And adapt for small screens. And the brand elements must meet standards for accessibility, as we mentioned before. So all that led us really to the design phase. What does adapt and refresh look like? So let's start with some of the pain points of the original logo. Um, as many people said, it was too busy, and we can count here 18 words. 
it felt dated in style, and even the font was, was uh, deemed sort of dated by some of the responders. Um, the leaf was also considered by some as cliche, and an even smaller proportion thought the bridge could be a cliche representation of San Francisco. Um, the overall logo doesn't reduce well, especially on mobile devices. So again, we're looking at changes in technology here, and how is that driving this process? Um, and finally, it's awkward when paired with other logos due to the text-heavy quality of it and the silhouette. Next slide. So we looked at multiple design directions and explored those, and we shared those with staff in a brown bag lunch just to collaboratively workshop the different ideas. We showed them four different directions that were very different and just collected their reactions to all four. Next slide. And after a refinement of all these, the core team selected the one that best solved for all the issues. And this is what we arrived at. Next slide. So let's talk about what some of those solutions actually were. Um, we wanted to enlarge and stylize the word environment to really emphasize that particular word. And we wanted to simplify overall. Now we have four words and remove the floating motif on the left. We also changed the font. Uh, this one is Roboto. It's a universally accessible and license-free Google font. And I would note the font that was the previous brand font was one that we had to pay a license for per staff, um, which, which uh, posed some issues there that we've solved with this logo. Um, we also removed the italic styles just to aid readability. Next slide. We also went to all caps, and this goes back to our research. The public sees us as moving forward in a bold way to address the challenges that face us. So we wanted to reinforce that with some bold characters in all caps. Um, this reduces well, which makes it more mobile friendly. And we kept the same green as the legacy logo just to bridge the connection to the past. And I want to call out the curve itself. This motif does a few things for us. As I said, it highlights the word environment in a more direct way than the old logo was. And it also offers some possibilities for our brand story. Um, it could be the fog of San Francisco. It could be the hills of San Francisco. It could even be sea level rise. Um, so it could do some double duty for us in that way. Next slide. But that's not all that needed to change. Um, as I said, the logo is an important part of the brand and probably the, the most visible part of it to the public. But there are other design elements as well, color, typography, and, and nu numerous others. Um, so what we did was refresh the whole style guide. And um, what we've done is made two versions of that. So we have one that's accessible to the staff on the intranet. Um, just again, to try to adapt to new technology, and it'll make it much easier to adapt the style guide itself, because um, the old one was very rigid, I think. And bringing it on the internet will allow us to be more nimble with it. Um, we'll also have a PDF that's tailored specifically for external partners. Next slide. Um, not only the style guide, we're actually turning to our materials and some of the workhorse documents that we're talking about are fact sheets, something that all the teams are, are generating for education for the public. 
So we'll have uh, a new a template style for that. We'll also have, of course, a new letterhead. Uh, next slide. Uh, the change will also be seen on our social networks. So we'll have a new avatar to the left of our name. Next slide. And that brings us to the current status. Um, so, you know, what we did in July was really finalize these style guides and collateral samples. August was really about creating the marketing plan and updating existing materials. And that brings us to now uh, presenting today to you our work and hopefully getting feedback on it today. And with that, thank you. A real pleasure to be able to present this today. Thanks, Mark. That's great. I know it's been a ton of work. Um, I'm excited about this specifically because in 2008, I had a trio, which puts into perspective, like, and I'm sure people here had blackberries, puts into perspective, like, the need for an update. Um, so I think this is fantastic. Um, commissioners, do you have any questions, thoughts? My one point that I want to bring up to this commission is that it begs the question whether or not we need to be clear about how we talk about ourselves as a commission. Because I don't know if any of you have the same problem I have, which is, do I say I'm on the Commission on the Environment, the San Francisco Environment Commission? Um, there's, there's the same kind of, I think, nomenclature problem that we see here, as you have been seeing with the department. And I think that there might be an opportunity in the future for us to make a change um, and be a little more consistent with how you're talking about yourselves now. But I think it's great work. Congrats. Question. Um, Thank you, Mark, for a great presentation. Uh, one question kind of relating to Vice President Stevenson's comment. Does the, do the, does the city charter sort of dictate the name of the department and or the name of the commission? And, I, and I'll, we, I'll defer to Acting Director Ju on that, but we did, we investigated that. Sure, I, I can uh, address that question. Uh, thank you for the question, Commissioner. So the city charter and, and what's in the city charter does dictate what the official name is. Uh, for the department, so and that is the Department of the Environment. That does not change even with the branding refresh. Uh, essentially, this is kind of the public facing of how we're connecting to the public. And so we're not changing our official name. Our budget code will remain the same for city purposes and all of that. Um, and this is really just a stylistic and also a reference point of how we talk about ourselves uh, within staff. I, I I like the new name better than the name that's in the <laughs> charter, so I would support a, a, a recommendation to the Board of Supervisors to, to, to make that change. Um, the other comment I have is um, I wish you had gone one step further in the change and not kept the old color because it's not a color that, that I can see in nature very often. And there's sort of a forest green that has showed up a number of times in this presentation that I think would be a perfect color for the Department of the Environment. Maybe it's my tree sort of uh, uh, interest, but, but that would be my, my, my sole nitpick. Sure, emotional, uh, the emotional connection to color, it's, it's fascinating and something that came up in our, our uh, research too and, and talking with fellow staff, of course. And what we found was that the staff was evenly split, keeping the logo exactly how it was or stepping into something new. And it was a 50-50 split, which, you know, the responsibility then becomes like, how do we maintain that trust that we've built, that feeling of it, 
while also kind of breathing some life into it, which is how we arrived at this idea that it's a refresh, not a complete departure. And so we were looking at some levers to push and pull. Um, so we did. We arrived on the, the idea that maybe the color would be the through line. And when you think about our tabling, you know how how we lay out all our materials, color is kind of one way that it all sort of hangs together. So we kind of realized the importance of that, and maybe there was some nostalgia to it as well. It's a good point. Just a couple of quick questions. So our name doesn't change. Does that mean because the environment? The department stayed DOE, right? So for the commission, still the same name, I assume? Uh, well, the, the commission's name is also in, in charter also. Um, but I mean, I think to uh, Vice President Stevenson's point, if you would want to refer to yourself as Environment Commission, you can't do it officially. Um, so you would have to reference it in any official documentation or, or anything that you're voting on. But I mean, there's no law that says I want to start calling myself the Environment Commission starting today or the Environment Department. Uh, you just can't formally change uh, the name of, of the body. Because I'm thinking if the department, well, for all the external materials become SFE, so is there like an external name for the commissioner to, right. you know, represent uh, externally how we're going to call ourselves? Right. At least we should have the same name when we make up one, so. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, in the business world, as Commissioner Bermejo knows, like there's a, th there's a concept of a DBA, like you're doing business as. Right, and so there's some weird, obscure name that's like somebody's incorporated, you know, personal name, and then but at the front they've got their brand name that's out there that's being used for their logo. And I think we can probably take the same kind of cues. Okay. Uh, the other question that I have is, I saw the sample material on the website. It has the SFE, but also with the Golden Gate Bridge and still mm -hmm. kind of the graphic. Is that also part of the branding? On the social media page, I think that we showed that was one place that we thought it might be nice to have the bridge come back as a cameo. Again, kind of that idea that it's it's not lost, right? We're, we're, we're refreshing the brand, we're using the bridge in a new way, but it's become sort of a design element that we'll use selectively. And is and that not the only design? With the logo. Is that the only design element, or do you have a list that that the department can pick from? Just curious. Oh, we have a short list. There's some other design elements, kind of like the fog, you know, the, so there'll be a short list. It, and the idea is that um, it'll be continually evolving and refreshing. So we'll have the, I think, the, the freedom to, to kind of make those decisions a little bit more nimbly than we have in the last 14 years. So, you know, as I might not have mentioned, part of this process will be to continually kind of assess our, our audiences, and I think do more of this research and polling than we have in the past, and that's definitely an intention. So we hope this is a bit more of a living and breathing brand going forward. Uh, but yeah, we'll start with a small set of design elements, also some pre-picked icons, so that all the teams use a similar icon library. Uh, last so that'll be part of it as well. I see. Sorry, the last question is, will the department logo could be in other languages as well? Typically, we found in our research that logos are not translated. I think that's a really interesting question. I mean, not uh, the SFE, but I saw you have that logo of San Francisco Environment Department. Would that actually be able to transcribe in different languages so different like uh, language groups can actually understand? I think it's, it's definitely an interesting question. It's not one that we've discussed on the core team yet, and I'd be curious to find out what the answer to that is. I don't know of many other brands that have been doing that, the but question I think is sometimes you the have, freedom is always there. Yeah, you have outreach material, for example, in Chinese and Spanish, and then, but the logo is in English that actually the reader do not know what that means. 
I mean, uh, Commissioner Juan, let, let us let us look into that and get back to you. I think there is merit. I mean, one of the benefits of having only four words now instead of 18 is now you can have that option uh, exactly. to potentially do that. And so let us explore that, and, and we're happy to bring that back to you. Great question. All right. Thank you so much for the presentation and all that hard work. Thank you. Thank you so much. Next item, please. Uh, just uh, doing public Oh, sorry, we need to do public comment. <laughs> we'll begin with public comment here in the room. <laughs> Thank you for the reminder. <laughs> Once in-person comment has concluded, we will proceed to promote public comment. Are there any members of the public who are present in the room today who wish to speak? And seeing none, we will proceed to promote public comment. Members of the public who wish to make a public comment on this item should now dial star three to be added to the speaker queue. For those already on hold in the queue, please continue to wait until it is your turn to speak. And seeing none, public comment on this item is closed. All right, now next item, please. Thank you. Thank you. The next item is item 13, director's report. The speaker is Tyrone Ju, acting director. This item is for discussion. Uh, commissioners, in the interest of time, I'm gonna keep my director's report fairly brief. Uh, you have a pretty comprehensive report uh, within your packet that you can refer to. Just a, full, a couple things I, I do wanna pull out uh, for the public's benefit and also the commission's benefit. Uh, one, we did kind of complete our review of the audit that was done by the controller's office on the uh, accounting uh, practices within our department. This is, I don't want to alarm everyone, this is a pretty standard accounting kind of review by the controller's office to make sure that our practices are up to uh, snuff. Uh, they did ident identify four areas of improvement. Uh, one was around voucher processing, uh, compliance with year-end closed schedule, grants administration, and pre-approval of expense reports. Uh, we've already addressed all of those issues already. Um, so we're already moving forward with changes that are forthcoming or changes that have already been implemented. So uh, no issues with the audit or any of the findings. The second uh, relates to the commission's desire to get an update on our ADVAC and uh, how we are doing with expending our ADVAC resources, given kind of the criticality of being able to do it within this fiscal year. Um, so there is a detailed memo uh, prepared by uh, Ms. Comerford in your packet. A uh, couple key things to pull out. Uh, we are well underway with hiring uh, and making progress in all of the hirings uh, we had mentioned in the last meeting. Uh, we're either in interviews, second round of interviews, or, or offers, or somewhere in between that for six of our positions with one still pending. Uh, in addition, we have our grants uh, RFP, which is slated to go out within the next two weeks, which is gonna be putting that ad back money back out into the community. Uh, a lot of work has gone into that from every single part of our department to pull together uh, this, this grants RFP, so we're really excited about that. Uh, another interesting thing to pull out from the director's report is a memo regarding the Inflation Reduction Act. So as we know, we have a federal administration that now believes in climate change and is willing to fund climate action. Uh, so there's a significant amount of resources that we're anticipating will help spur kind of climate action within cities like San Francisco. Uh, what we've done is we've mapped out uh, the categories for the Inflation Reduction Act matched with our climate action strategies to see what those potential opportunities might be. And so that's included within your packet. So I encourage you to take a look at that. Uh, we don't know all the details for how exactly they're gonna roll out the programs or administer them. So there's still some information lacking, but 
I think things are looking good for the amount of money we may be able to try to advocate for for the city. Uh, lastly, just a couple of events. Uh, we've been doing a reuse outreach campaign. If you've seen the billboards around the city, uh, we've been tabling at a number of community events throughout the city. There are two upcoming that I want to make sure the commission was aware about. Uh, one is at the Castro Street Fair on October 2nd, and the second is at the 20th Street Block Party on October 15th. And the reason why I want to make sure the commission is aware of this is part of our campaign is having a professional photographer at our booth taking photos of individuals with kind of reuse uh, bottles, different garments. You can knock yourself out and how you want to look, but there's a professional photo at the very end of that process. And we'd love the commission to take your professional photo there because we could include some of those photos within our annual report uh, for those of you that aren't shy. And then finally, uh, we did, I did want to highlight our garment repair project uh, that we're doing at San Francisco State. So this is actually a, a great collaboration between the department, uh, Goodwill, the California Product Stewardship Council. And uh, yeah, it's gonna be happening tomorrow at 10 a.m. for those of you that missed it. And uh, yeah, we get to showcase some of the vendors for all those reused garments that, that uh, were coming out of that program. So with that, I'll conclude my report and answer any questions. Thank you very much. Any questions, Commissioner? Just a quick comment. It's a big hit at our Wishman Moon Festival that we use like photography booth. So thank you so much. Thank you. Sir. I was also very happy to read that the uh, board finally approved the planning code electric vehicle changes. So I was very mm -hmm. happy about that. And I was very happy about the gasoline powered leaf blower. <laughs> <laughs> finally. All right, let's open up to public comment, please. We will begin with public comment here in the room. Once in-person comment has concluded, we will proceed to remote public comment. Are there any members of the public who are present in the room today who wish to speak? Seeing none, we will proceed to remote public comment. Members of the public who wish to make a public comment on this item should now dial star three to be added to the speaker queue. For those already on hold in the queue, please continue to wait until it is your turn to speak. Seeing none, public comment on this item is closed. Next item, please. The next item is item 14, committee reports. This item is for discussion. All right, Commissioner Sullivan, could we have a report on the policy committee? Absolutely. The policy committee last met on September 12th. The committee heard three presentations, including first, an update on the efforts of beef and pork producers to collect data required by the Antibiotic Use in Food Animals Ordinance. We heard from Jen Jackson and Tim James of the California Grocers Association. We also heard a presentation on the draft 2021 Annual Buy Green Report, as we heard tonight, from Dr. Shoba Iyer and Taya Jibo, again, as we heard tonight. And then finally, a presentation from Lowell Chu on the Bay Run Refrigeration Replacement Program. Poly, policy committee met uh, before that on August 8th, and the committee heard two presentations, including a presentation on the Integrated Pest Management Program and the 2022 Reduced Risk Pesticide List from Dr. Shoba Iyer, Christopher Campbell from the Department of Recreation and Park, and Kevin Wollen and Joy Malera of the SFPUC. We also heard a presentation on the Climate Equity Hub from Cindy Comerford and Diana Manetta. 
The next meeting is scheduled for Monday, October 3rd. Thank you, Commissioner. Commissioner Wan, please give us a report on the operations committee. Sure. The operations committee has not met since July 20th. The next operations committee meeting is scheduled for Wednesday, October 19th. Thank you. Great, thanks. Commissioner Wald, can we get a report on the search committee? Uh, thank you. The search committee uh, met on August 22nd. During that meeting, the committee reviewed a proposal that was submitted by CPS HR Consulting, and we approved a motion to retain this firm to support the Department of the Environment Executive Search Recruitment effort. The firm anticipates a process lasting 12 to 14 weeks. Upon confirmation of an executed agreement between the Department of Human Resources and CPSHR Consulting, the committee will convene for a second meeting to discuss priorities for the candidate profile, the recruitment strategy, and the schedule of subsequent meetings. Great, thank you. Is there any public comment on this item? We'll begin with public comment here in the room. Once in-person comment has concluded, we will proceed to remote public comment. Are there any members of the public or present in the room today who wish to speak? Seeing none, we will proceed to remote public comment. Members of the public who wish to make a public comment on this item should now dial star three to be added to the queue. For those already on hold in the queue, please continue to wait until it is your turn to speak. Seeing none, public comment on this item is closed. Next item, please. All right, the next item is item 15, new business feature agenda items. The speaker is Kyle Wainer, Commissioner Affairs Officer. This item is for discussion. Good evening, commissioners. We have a policy committee scheduled, policy committee meeting scheduled for October 3rd. We have an operations committee meeting scheduled for October 19th. And we have a full commission meeting scheduled for December 6th. For the policy committee meeting, We'll hear presentations on updated C&D requirements and the fixed-led SF program. For the operations meeting, we'll hear presentations on the Mission Go outreach program, equity and zero waste and affordable housing, and potentially a presentation on the green business program. And for the full commission meeting, we anticipate presentations on long-term funding for the climate action plan, outgoing grants, and a presentation from the Reasonable SF Coalition. I'm happy to take any questions. Any questions or comments? All right, let's open up public comment on this item. We will begin with public comment here in the room. Once in-person comment has concluded, we will proceed to remote public comment. Are there any members of the public who are present in the room today who wish to speak? And seeing none, we will proceed to remote public comment. Members of the public who wish to make a public comment on this item should now press star three to be added to the queue. For those already on hold in the queue, please continue to wait until it is your turn to speak. And seeing none, public comment on this item is closed. Thank you, Kyle. Next item, please. The next item is item 16, adjournment. The meeting is adjourned. The time is 7.31 p.m. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for your work, everyone. Thank you.